Amen. Y'all can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, if you will. If you're a first-time guest, again, thank you for being our guest. Uh, it's an honor that you're here. We want to be a blessing to you, so uh, please don't uh, miss stopping by the Welcome Center after the service is over. We want to give you a gift, meet you, and uh, again, just tell you thank you uh, for being here. We uh, have our morning services today, but we do not have any evening services. And uh, I do hope and, and pray from our family to yours. You have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and if I don't get to tell you that uh, before you leave today, but we love you guys, and we're excited about what God's doing here, what He's doing in our world, and what He has in store for us. Uh, we know that we have truth. We're going to talk about that this morning, and there's nothing that we as believers in Christ have to fear or worry about at all in this world. And uh, again, it, it, Brother Tony shared a devotion this morning, and uh, he read the verses that we read in Psalm chapter one, uh, 100, and uh, we are to be thankful uh, in all things. We aren't necessarily thankful for all things, but we are to be thankful in all things. So you can even be going through a trial, we can be dealing with a mess that we're dealing with, and you can still be thankful. And so uh, just so, so uh, thankful the Lord's given us His truth. Um, we've been studying the church, and we've been in the book of Acts. And we are, again, in chapter 4. Last week we saw uh, some more things come about. Uh, Peter and John, two apostles, had been thrown in jail. They had been threatened not to preach in, in, in the name of Jesus anymore, not to do anything else in His name. And they countered those threats with wisdom from God. They turned around on the religious leaders and challenged them whether they should be obeying them or God. And uh, again, they went on to say that there's no way that they could keep silent about the things that God had done in their lives, things that they had seen, things they had heard. There's no way to keep silent about those things. And their, their first response we saw was once they were let go from those religious leaders, they went back to the church. They went to the family of God. Um, and the people that were there were in the battle with them. They knew that. Um, the, the people that were there with them in that that place they gathered with them. They were on the same team. They were on the same mission. And so they at once responded to that situation, what they were dealing with in unity. They didn't say, well, I think we should do this. I think they, we should do this. Well, if they're going to threaten us like this, we should do this. They, they, didn't, they didn't have that type of uh, encounter once they returned to uh, the church. They had a response in unity, and that first response in unity was to pray. And at their praying in unity, the Bible says the place they were was shaken. It was shaken, followed by a filling of the Spirit in every single one of them. And the filling of the Spirit produced a boldness to continue to speak the Word of God that was something they specifically prayed for. And we talked about that um, again last week. Their prayer wasn't, you know, God, please get our lives back to pre-COVID, I mean, pre-struggle. Um, it wasn't, God, we want our lives back to normal. God, we, we want it before Jesus was crucified and resurrected and we felt like outcasts. We want it, but they didn't pray that. They didn't pray, God, help our lives get back to the way we want them. Their prayer, I believe, was in light of exactly what Jesus had told them to be prepared for. In Matthew chapter 10, he said these things, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men. They will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. 
You'll be brought before governors and kings. Listen to those next two words, next few words. For my sake. As a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Verse 21, now brother will deliver a brother to death, and father his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated for all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. Most assuredly, I say, you'll not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. In John chapter 16, he says something a little bit similar in the way of warning them. He says this in verse 16, a little while and you'll not see me in a little while again and you will see me because I go to my father or go to the father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, what is this that he's saying unto us a little while and you're not going to see me in a little while you're going to see me again because I go to the father. They said therefore what is this that he says a little while. We do not know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. Again they were saying among themselves they weren't saying it to Jesus. They were talking about what is he talking about? And he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves what I said? <laughs> a little while and you'll not see me, a little while and you'll see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. A woman, when she's in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. Amen, ladies? But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because the joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you, ne- you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask in, in the name of, of uh, uh, in the Father, in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken to you in a figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you'll ask in my name, and I do not say that, you shall, that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you because you, you have loved me and have believed that I'm come forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world and again leave the world and go to the Father. And this is what happens. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly, and you're using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you'll be scattered, each one to his own, and leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father's with me. These things he was telling them, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have, what's that next word? Peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so they knew, we've got to press forward for the king. We've got to keep pushing forward. We have to endure. We have to continue the mission of reaching the lost 
with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we might even have to endure the difficulties that he's telling us about, the pain. But the temporal pain that we're enduring, he promised would turn into eternal joy when he returns. And so I want to pray this morning. I want to see what else this threat, this adversity, this determination, even this unified prayer, this unified church, what, what it all bred, what it all produced in, in, in their lives. And so let's pray and we'll jump into that. Father, thank you for this time. Again, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to gather in your name, to exalt your name, to praise you, to give thanks uh, for who you are and all the many blessings you poured out in our lives. And as we are here this this week of thanksgiving, this service today, there's no question that in America we are supremely blessed. And as we see even turmoil in our nation, turmoil in our world, God, we as, as your, your children, your, your followers, we do have that peace. We have joy because we know that you are God and that you are in control, that this world is a temporal dwelling place for us, that these are temporal tents that we're living in. Lord, we pray that you'll help us this morning to understand what you want us to understand, to take from this message and to apply it in our lives how you see fit. And if there's somebody here, God, that is lost and they, they don't have a relationship with you, they don't even know exactly what's going to happen to them after they die, I pray that they would make sure 100% that they know heaven is their home before they leave this place, that they'll ask someone, that they'll come forward at the invitation, they'll do whatever's necessary to know to walk out of here knowing 100% that heaven's going to be their home. Lord, we ask you to just bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to I put on the, the screen kind of a, a, a list and, and, a, and in, the, in the spirit of thanksgiving. Uh, we all are thinking about recipes. Well, not all of us, maybe. But <laughs> many people are thinking about recipes and what you're going to cook, what you're going to bake, what you're gonna, all this kind of stuff. And, and there's a, an ingredient list. Some people know it by memory. They don't have to have that list. But there's no question people are going to be pulling out their phones, pulling out their recipe books, pulling out those recipe cards or whatever, and, 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 and baking and cooking and doing some things. And so that, those are ingredients that we, we consider, or, or not consider, we put in there. I want to consider that as kind of what these people were dealing with in their life, right? They were people just like us. They were dealing with circumstances probably a little more extreme than what we're dealing with right now. But these were the ingredients that, that were composing their life. If you looked at their life as kind of a boiling pot, this was all the things that were thrown into that. First thing that we know that they were dealing with was loss. They had experienced loss on a catastrophic level. Jesus, the Messiah, who they put all of their weight in, all of their confidence in, had been crucified. He, he, was, he was dead. Now, that, yes, the resurrection, we'll talk about that in just a second. But they had experienced this great suffering in the loss of Jesus, their Lord, being crucified, being lied about, betrayed. I mean, all those things, they experienced loss. They also experienced, of course, along with the, the loss, the mourning that goes along when you lose someone you love. So they were dealing with all these real human emotions in this moment. They also were dealing, number three, with faith, hope, and trust. And again, that's what the resurrection brought to them. They had absolute confidence. They had absolute expectation, which is the word hope. That, that this world wasn't the end for them. They, they knew Jesus had risen from the dead, and he, he was uh, ascended to the throne of uh, the right hand of the Father. And, and so again, they, they had absolute confidence that they were going the right way no matter what they were dealing with. They were all in. The next thing that they, were, they had in the ingredients was God's Word. 
Again, what you just read a while ago, Jesus had told them, this is what you're going to deal with in the world. This is how bad the world's going to get. This is how ugly it may get for your life. So they had the instructions on how they were supposed to navigate even these troubled waters. They had confidence in God's Word. They had that. That was part of the, the mixture here. They also had the gathering, the togetherness, and the faithfulness that seems to be sometimes unrivaled in the church in our, in our day and time. This togetherness, this gathering, we're going to see a bit more this morning. But again, the first place they went when they were in the midst of a struggle, of a threat, was back to the family of God. Maybe the human tendency was to, to go and figure out how much money they had saved up, but they didn't do that. The Bible says they went back to the company of believers. They went back to the church and said, okay, this is a real threat. This is exactly what our Lord told us was going to happen. What do we do? The first response we know, again, they prayed together in unity. They had adversity, and adversity always breeds unity if it's responded with right, right? You go through it with a team in the military, you know that. Um, on, at your job, you go through adversity, if you handle it right, many times you get closer to your coworkers. Again, they were dealing with threats and persecution. They were dealing, they also had in the pot clarity of mission and clarity of purpose, which is so vital. We're going to talk about that again this morning. So they, they knew exactly what they were on this earth still for. And that's what was, was driving them. And then the ninth thing that we know was in their, their pot in their life was also instability, confusion, and division in culture. And if, if we know a little bit about that today, then I think we can connect with that, right? There's instability and confusion and division in the culture. That's what they were dealing with. And the last thing, of course, what was in the mix was prayer. They were handling these things by prayer together. This was what was in the pot. This was, this, these were the ingredients in their life. And, and now we're going to see what came out, right? That's what they threw in. This is what the circumstances threw in. This is what the enemy was throwing out. This is what God was allowing. This was what their life. And now here's what comes out. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. The multitude of the people that were there the, the, large, the vast number of believers there had one heart and one soul. The first point this morning is when we have faith, faithfulness, and the right foundation, our lives funnel to unified passion and purpose. I know that's a long statement, but it's, it's, it's so important and so true. When we have faith, because again, that was in them, faithfulness to what we know is true, and the right foundation, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid Christ Jesus when we have those things together, then our lives together, they, it's like a funnel. They filter. They, they funnel into unified passion and purpose. Our lives together. So it's an important thing to understand what it means when it says that they're one heart and one soul. And sometimes we, we think, well, they were on the same page. But this is a very deep-seated connection and unity that this first church happened. Uh, had the, the, the heart, when it mentions the heart, is the seat of emotions. The word soul here is the Greek word suke. Does anybody have any idea what that sounds like? It's not like a, an Australian word, suke. You know? or it, it, psyche or psycho, not, but not psycho in the way that we think. We use the word psycho. That's the person, psycho. No. Psycho having to deal with the thought or the the psychological faculty, the mindset, the mind, the thought process. 
Again, the reason why they use the word soul is, is our soul is connected to that. That is how we are, uh, how we are known, how we are conscious of our uh, humanness and our, our, our place in this world is our soul. We understand that we have an eternal soul. Our conscious mind and process. This brings to mind the scripture when I was studying this in, in uh, Philippians chapter 1. Paul was talking to the Philippian believers and he said this in verse 27. Only let your manner of life. So the, only the way, this is, the, the way you live needs to only be worthy of the gospel. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you and that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That word, one mind, is the same exact Greek word as it is in Acts for soul. Same exact one. So this is key. Um, last Sunday night, we talked about focus and perspective and affection. If you're here, we're talking about having, having the right focus in our life in order to gain the right perspective. If your focus gets off, your focus gets on the wrong thing, then your perspective in life becomes skewed. And when your perspective in life gets skewed, then your affections are prone to wonder all over the place. And that's what so many people, even Christians, are dealing with today. But when our mind is right, when our focus is focused on the right thing and the right things, then and only then we, we can have the right perspective, a biblical perspective of our life on this earth. And when our, our perspective is right again, then we can operate with the right affections in life. Our heart will go after the right things, not the wrong things. But we know that our perspective and things can get skewed if we're operating in the opposite order. He said, what, is, what does that mean? If you're going off of human emotions, if you're operating in an emotional way and that's what's driving you, if you're allowing your emotions to direct your decisions, your thoughts, it'll end up affecting your perspective. And it will affect your perspective and that will misdirect your focus in life. And you'll be aiming at the completely wrong thing, even if you're a Christian. So the key is to maintain a right focus, a right mind. So that perspective is right. And again, the affections follow after the right thing. You see yourself in the world the right way because your focus is right. And because you see yourself in the right way in the world, you're able to go after and love and, and, and passionately pursue the things that are right. And the reason why that's important is as we say and use the phrase today, so that the tail is not wagging the dog. Our, our emotions are not to be controlling our life. That's what happens. You, you say, what does that look like? Look at our world today. Look at social media. Look at the firestorm in, in, in me. I mean, that's what happens. People get emotional and, and, and they're not focused right. Their, their perspective in the world's not right. And so they begin to make decisions and say things and do things based off their emotions. And look how messed up it gets. You get messed up really fast. It's the same exact thing that happens in marriages. You start operating off emotions and that's exactly what happens. Things get bad quick. But we talked about making conscious decisions based on faith and truth. Now put this in the notes. It's deciding to be aware of the circumstances, to feel the real emotions, yet choose to focus on truth and choose to, by faith, follow that truth versus focusing on the circumstances and getting swept away in the emotions. The reason that's so important is, is I'm, what, what I'm 
sharing and what we're seeing is not a disconnect from reality. That's not it. It's not these people weren't aware that their lives were in danger. It's not that they didn't really feel the emotions of the moment. It's not that they weren't concerned what it might look like for them tomorrow or the next day if they go down this road. It's not that. And it's not even for us today to say, well, you're kind of painting a picture that we just kind of block out everything and everything's wonderful and amazing because Jesus is our Savior and and we don't have real problems in the world and we don't have real health struggles and real financial issues and real marital problems and real decisions to make. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. What it is is deciding to be say, you know what? I know what's, I see what's going on. I'm aware of the, the circumstances. And, and, and I'm, I'm weighted down by them. I, I'm concerned about them or I'm, you know, I'm frustrated by them, whatever the case may be. But what I'm going to choose to do in this, in, in this is to focus on truth. Something that has never changed. Something that will never change. I, I, I know what the implications of, uh, of this are in my world and, and how I feel about it, but I'm, I, I can't focus on that. I can't allow that to be what I zero in on because then my perspective of where I am in this world and my place in this world gets messed up, and then my heart starts going after the wrong direction and starts feeling the wrong things. But if I stay focused on the truth, then no matter what my circumstances are, no matter what I feel emotionally, I can continue on pursuing the right thing, and that is truth. So in our context, again, there's so many things that can steal our focus. I know for me that's happening almost on a daily basis now. So many things can steal our focus. And when our focus is stolen, then again, our perspective gets messed up. And then, of course, our affections follow. So we have to choose, as I said, to put our focus on the truth. As a child of God, you've got a choice every single day. You can look at what the news says, you can look at what everybody's saying, you can look at what you're feeling and all those things, or you can say, this is what God's Word says, and, and, and I'm going to plug forward. I'm going to push toward the mark. I'm going to keep following, keep obeying, no matter how I feel, no matter how things seem, because this is truth. So if we choose to put our focus on truth, again, the, the perspective and the affections will follow. That will enable us to, by faith, to be faithful to the call. Again, having the right foundation that we're all living from enables us to have passion and purpose together. And it will be resolute. There's nothing that will shake us off of sharing the gospel, making disciples, encouraging one another, pressing toward the more. Nothing will shake us off of that, just like this first church. Look what it says as it goes on in the next part of the verse. Neither did anyone say of the things that he had or the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. So this church, they had the same affections. They were desiring the same things. They were focused on the same things. They were resolute. They were not moving from the mission that Christ, now that there's threats, it wasn't like they were like, okay, do we stop? What do we do? Do we, do we stop going to church? Do we stop preaching? Do we stop sharing? They, didn't, they were all focused on pushing forward because Jesus told them what was coming. They knew what they were supposed to be about. So they had this thing, but they had a, something inside of that passion and that purpose. The things that it's talking about here in the last part of this verse, the possessions they had, food, water, clothing, maybe tools, necessities. And we're going to see this in just a minute, that that's what they were 
having all things common. What they're not talking about are things that are unshareable, of course, like family, relationships. <laughs> oh, we're sharing everything? Here, here's my kid. No, no I'm keeping this one. No, you're going to have this one, you know. No, they weren't sharing nothing like that. No kids or spouses, no pets. Maybe pets, I don't know. I don't have any idea. But the, the point is, it wasn't a cult. It wasn't a monastery. That's not what they were experiencing in, in, in this context. What we do see is a mutual love, a mutual compassion. Again, a unity that's clearly un, understood in the context of family. So again, if you think about your family, your blood family, that's, that's what they were experiencing in this context, a team. If you've ever been on a successful unified team, you kind of have a little bit of understanding of that as well. This unified and passion, this unified passion and purpose organically produces community. And there's a distinction of what this is and the perception of what community is. And that's something important even in our context today. Point number two is this. When we have unified passion and purpose, we experience spirit-induced and spirit-infused community and not communism. Again, that's why I said there's a distinction of what this is and the perception of what they were experiencing is. Or we could say it doesn't have anything to do with its predecessor either, socialism. Here are the translator's notes, the reason I bring that up. The translator's notes said this, the rem this remark is not a reflection of a political philosophy, but, the, to, but of the extent of their spontaneous commitment to one another. Such a response does not have the function of a command. In other words, their, their response of sharing stuff, it wasn't, it, it wasn't that they had to do this. It wasn't that they were commanded to do this. But it's reflective of an attitude that Luke commends as evidence of their identification with one another, i.e. as a family. So their response here to share the things that they had was just like in a family. I mean, I have blood family in this church. I have, uh, I have uh, people that you say, hey, uh, I, 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 don't, I, I need this. Or, hey, do you have this? And, and they're like, this. Yes, no problem. Right? That's what happens in a family. Unless the relationship's messed up. But that's what they were experiencing. Again, we'll see this in just a second. But when we hear the word community, there are different thoughts that people have. Um, some people think, we say, what do you think when you hear the word community? Well, the, the, the area I live in, okay? What, else, what do you think? Somebody says, well, I think it's the people in my world, my community. Some people think of the more biblical sense or maybe the close interpretation of the biblical sense, and that is people that I have things in common with, that I hang around. But the word here, community, is koinos. It means belonging to several versus the opposite word is idios, which means one's own. So you see an experience of belonging to everyone and I'm all by myself. My stuff is my own. Again, the skewed political view of this, the policy of this, employed and also perverted by so many people in the world throughout history, even in our world right now, is communism. Webster's Dictionary says this of this. The very first uh, uh, definition is this. It's a theory advocating elimination of private property. That's 1A. 1B is this. A system in which goods are owned in common and are available to all as needed. Again, that's not what is seen here. What, what we see is community. 
And we'll see it in, in verse 34, because we're going we're to skip 33. We're going to come back to 33 in just a second. But we're going to see what it looks like in verse 34. So look in verse 34. Nor was there any among them who lacked. So there were, that's talking about a need. That's not talking about a want. Well, Jim has, Jim has that. I don't have that. You know? Oh, sorry, Jim. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> Bob. No, there's a Bob here too. <laughs> Bill. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't like, hey, they have that. I don't have that. I'm lacking that. I want what they have. It's not that. It was, it was the fact that there were people that didn't have the needs in their community, in their, in their family. And so nobody was lacking. Why was nobody lacking? Because it says, all who are possessors of lands, the, world, the word is plural, or houses, another plural word, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. And then they laid them at the apostles' feet, and the apostles distributed them to each as anyone had need. So again, this was the response in love. It was spirit-induced. It was spirit-infused community that was produced from their unified passion and purpose. So what do they do? What is that, again, what does that look like? They were selling their extra possession, even the extra houses. We only have one house. We only need one house. We only live in one. This person is homeless. Or they can't pay their, their groceries, pay for their groceries. They can't do this. So they sold their extra possessions so that even those without the necessities could be taken care of. Remind you of others over self. Remind you of self-sacrifice. Give as it has been given to you. All the principles employed through community. Not commanded, but embraced. No one was forcing them to do this. Oh, man, there's some asking for a need. I'm going to look unspiritual if I don't do something. You know? It's not it. it well, nobody was forcing them. Nobody was making them do this. They saw needs. They saw, and so, you know, hey, we can help out. Man, this person's really in need. No one even commanded them to bring it to the leadership of the church. It's not even in there. This was their submission to the order and the authority of God. Again, this is what they were a part of. These men that God had installed, the apostles, they were responsible to handle the needs in the church. And, and, and they would be accountable to God for that. And when this order then, this fairness is executed and not partiality, then again, needs are met in the way they should be. Verse 36, and Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, Having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Listen, when we are all on the same page, with the same mind and the same heart, which equates to the same purpose and passion, then community will occur. That's, that's what will happen. But the, the fundamental thing there is having the same mind and the same heart. It's important to put a qualifier and disclaimer here, I think. We're not told that they were bailing each, out, each other out of their foolish financial decisions. That's not there. They weren't bailing each other out of their irresponsible financial stewardship. They weren't doing that either. The church, the family of God, was helping each other out in what was lacking in necessity. It's not that... Well, I would have money for groceries, but my kids wanted this newest set of rock and stick game. 
So we bought that. Can you help us with groceries? You know? Give me some food. Or, I would love to help that family in need. Or I, I would give to the church too to help this. But, we've eaten out all the time. We went out and had some fun. Bought some stuff that we were wanting. So we can't help. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with buying things you want or anything like that, but see, community works both ways to all involved. What does community look like? Community looks like you're living in a way that you can help others. And when you find that you have a need, God always provides. Listen, it's biblical to steward your life in such a way that you can not only give to God first, it's biblical, a portion of what he's blessed you with so that the ministry and even, again, biblically speaking, ministers are supplied. And the Bible says the first fruits of all how God has blessed you, you return to him. That's undeniable in Scripture. But it's also just as biblical and undeniable that we are to steward the blessings of God in such a way that we have a portion to be able to help other people in need. Both are 100% biblical. Maybe that's part of what's missing in the church today, the community. So many people are out to live for themselves, even in the church, buying what they want, living how they want, oblivious to other needs. Oh, well, they can figure it out on their own. That's never going to produce community. It's never going to produce a powerful church like we see in the first church. Go back to verse 33. We're almost done. This unity, this community is, is of course, pleasing to the Father. It's in line with the prayer of Christ for the church. I'm not going to read the whole prayer, but um, in chapter 17 of John, uh, verse 14, he says, I've given them your word. The world has hated them, talking about the, uh, his, his followers, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Listen to what he says. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified for, uh, by the truth. And it goes on and says in verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but I, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one. Again, a, a unity. Jesus' prayer is, is being lived out and seen in this first church. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. So again, a natural progression has occurred. The recipe of what they had in their life produced these things. And this, these, the, the, this recipe and this final product is an example for us to follow, I believe. And I believe expect similar outcomes when sincerity is our motive. If this is what the believers in Christ experienced in the first church, this is what they were dealing with, and this is how they, they responded, and this is what the result was. I believe as followers of Christ, I don't care if it's 2,000 years later, the truth has never changed. So I believe that we can have the same ingredients in our lives and operate with the same sincere motives that they were and expect the same outcome in our life. Number three, 
When the spirit-induced and spirit-infused community exists, great power for witnessing and great grace falls on all. Again, I, I love that. A unified church blessed by God and blessing one another. That's what they were. They were a unified church that was blessed by God that were blessing one another. They had great power to witness, to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit was filling them, and they were boldly sharing the gospel. They were, they were uh, having grace, favor in every one of their lives. This morning, we are yet again challenged with the example of our spiritual forefathers, our spiritual heritage. And I believe that we're challenged to remember, again, while we can't live in the past, as I said even last week, we've definitely got to learn from it. We have to understand that spiritual heritage that we have is unchanged because our God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His truth is eternal. God still loves souls. He still loves you and me. He loves even those lost souls that are vile sinners doomed for eternity that need to hear the gospel. His plan, again, has never changed. Go ye, therefore. There's laborers that are still needed in the fields. The fields are still being harvested. The question that we need to answer is this. Will you and I, as a local church, rally together in unified passion and purpose and prayer? Or will we continue on being intimidated by self-doubt, fear, and circumstances that we live in. Again, maybe the, maybe the world that we live in, the America that we've all been used to, maybe it looks different in the next few years or the rest of our lives. Maybe it does. Maybe even we'll be faced with real threats to our faith like they were. The question we need to ask is this, will we still be resolved to labor for the master till he returns? So I wonder how easily we who say we're followers of Christ are pulled away from the body of Christ. Right? We've got distractions and things going on. We'll stay away at the littlest excuses sometimes. Not everybody. But what if the world that we live in becomes more hostile to Christians? What will it look like for you? I believe that great grace and great power is still available for us today. I think that we've got to be on the same page, though. Let's take these truths and ensure that they're affecting our walk. Let's, let's leave this place. Let's enter this season of Thanksgiving. Let's enter this holiday season as we see the end of this year with so much division and turmoil and confusion and so many things in our world seeming so weird and upside down. Let us, as the people of Christ, walk in the peace of God, walk in the joy of the Lord, standing on the firm foundation of truth, being resolute in our passion and our purpose, because that's never changed from this time to now. And again, if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ, you have to know, you have to know that you're living in your sins, the Bible says. And then if you die in those sins, you'll be faced with the wrath of God for all of eternity. 
But that's why Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, for my sins. He died on the cross, but he was buried and he rose again the third day. The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you've never done that, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, turning away from sin and turning to Jesus alone for salvation, then I beg you to do that today. We're going to have a moment here in a second to respond. You can come forward. Someone can take you to the side privately and not embarrass you and show you in God's word how you can know. If you say, well, I'd just rather talk to someone after service, you can do that. But please don't leave here today without 100% assurance that heaven's going to be your eternal home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us again to be here. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the, the power that you make available to us through the Spirit. Thank you for the grace that you so abundantly pour out in our lives. And again, we thank you for your word and the example that we have today. Lord, help us be the church in the end, strong, resembling the church in the beginning, strong. Lord, I pray that our lives will be dedicated together, that we would truly live in, in community, and that you'll be exalted in this church. We'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand for a